0: What's up everybody this is mind your money with miss be helpful a show that highlights people and stories that will inspire you to get your money right march is officially women's history month so of course i had to bring on the dopest woman honestly this is janice i brought you on because this is actually the reason why i started my own podcast i was inspired by janice if you are not familiar with her uh, podcast already definitely go check it out literally right after you listen to this episode it's called Joquero dinero podcast
1: welcome janice Thank you so much, Janelle. I've been such a fan of you for the longest time, and I'm so grateful to be here.
0: Oh, I love that. Thank you. No, it's actually, it's funny because I remember when you first reached out to me, and I was like, "Oh, this is cute." A podcast called "Yo Quiero Dinero." I mean, obviously, that was like the song J Lo had just put out. The song everybody was all over it. And I was like, "Oh, this is adorable. I love this." And then I was one of the earlier. I, I remember it was one of your early interviews. I don't know what episode number, but like really early on. And our this is a funny story. I just gotta get out the way. I put it in my um, in my yearly recap, like re- year review episode. But I don't know if you picked up on it. I was so sick when we talked. Did really, you hear it in my voice, girl, you didn't hear it in my voice. No. <laughs> Yo, I swear, I don't know because I never got tested for antibodies, but I'm pretty sure I had COVID at that time because it was the first week of March of 2020. And nobody, it wasn't like, it hadn't really blown up yet. It had just, like, you know, early March, like, it was a... the, the week I had just come back from traveling the last week of um, February, I was traveling for work and I came back the first week of March. I got really sick. My boyfriend was sick. We were both like high fever. I had a stuffy nose, but I felt really bad because I had committed. I didn't want to cancel on you. So I was like, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do, do it. I'll be all right. I'm gonna be fine. Girl, you are a trooper. My God. <laughs> I honestly, I listened back to the episode and I was
1: like, I sound like, I sound like this. Like, Hey, what's up to I'm here, girl. What's up? Yo, that's crazy. I think a lot of us got sick around that time and we just didn't make the connection until later because my husband says the exact same thing
0: yes and it's it's crazy because now I listen back I'm like what the hell is my problem I should <laughs> just I should just hit you up like girl listen I'm gonna do it but I'm a little sick today let's do it next week you know but I was so excited to talk to you because I you know I love what you were doing so um yeah for everybody who's listening if you're not already familiar if you're already familiar you're like probably like whoa because this is like two It's like when you watch two telenovelas and then the characters from both are on the same you're like whoa what's going on or like if you're like a 90s kid and all of a sudden you're watching sister sister and will Smith walks in you're like whoa what is this this is too short Shows. It's that a spinoff. Right. <laughs> yes, yes. So if you listen to both Mind Your Money and Your Quiero Dinero podcast, you're probably like, this is so cool, Janice and Janelle together. Um, but I, I want you to know like, th- that when I first met Janice, the podcast, it was just a baby. It was a little idea that she had. She was just getting started. And so we're going to really dive into that. How did you take it from this idea to this amazing platform that you have today? So, you know, obviously stay tuned and listen for that. We're going to get to it. But I always love to start every show with your biggest money regret. That's like my number one question. So a time where you spent way too much money, maybe it was a purchase, a product or an experience, a trip, whatever it was. And to this day, you're like, I no, 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 no. I wish I could go back and just
1: take it back. Just never make that mistake that I made. What would it be? Yeah. For me, it was buying a house. It was getting Ooh. a big ass mortgage for a house that two weeks in, I wanted to burn down. Like I hated <laughs> it since the moment I moved in. And it's like, you know i still look back and this was only what five years ago at this point and i think about like all of the pressure that i was fe- like feeling from an external standpoint of like you have to buy a house you just got married like this is the next logical step
0: mm. and
1: it was the most toxic situation ever like the mm, it, i could get into it but <laughs> girl t- listen Well, I I want to talk a little bit more about it because I do agree
0: with that. I think there's this, like, there's just these steps that you're, you're, you're kind of a little bit brainwashed. Brainwashed is a negative word, but I do think it's not necessarily brainwashed. It's more so socialized. We're socialized to just accept that these are the steps we're supposed to take we're supposed to you know when you turn 18 decide what you're gonna do college or get a job but become a professional become somebody who makes money once you start making money you find a partner oh okay if you're gonna be together you gotta get engaged you're gonna get married okay now it's like all right get a house oh after you have the house what are you gonna do you're gonna have a baby when's the baby coming it's right it's these predefined steps that we've been socialized to just accept without really taking a step back to say wait Are those the steps that I want to take in that order? Or am I just doing it because everybody else is doing it? That's what I'm quote unquote supposed to do. Um, Okay. So tell us like you you get married, you get the house. You're like, that's what I'm supposed to do. What was like the biggest, like, what was the biggest thing two weeks in that was such a nightmare?
1: Yeah. Well, I think it was several things. The first thing was that I was not in a financial place to actually be responsible and uh, financially sound homeowner so mm-hmm. I did the 3.5% down no emergency fund I was just like yeah the bank said I qualify so I can totally afford this house of course yes I was like I'm definitely making a smart decision because it was a multi-family house so I'm like I'm gonna have other people paying my mortgage and I'm gonna mm-hmm. make bank and I'm gonna live here for free couldn't get people to pay the rent that the realtor told me I could get for these apartments oh. <sighs> The house was over a hundred years old. So within two weeks of me moving, the basement flooded, the sewer pipe backed up, the heating system was spewing steam, even though it was allegedly brand new. And the inspector said, yeah, this is all good. You're moving into a brand new reno. And just one thing after another, I was just really, I think the financial stress of the whole thing is just literally what sent me over the edge, like to the point that I started having to go to therapy to just deal with the consequences of my decision. And I felt literally trapped. Like I hated Damn. being in the house because of what it represented of just me not making a decision that was aligned with what I actually needed at that point in time. Yo preach
0: you like you put so many um, gems in that, you know, just in such a short, um, I want to say sermon girl. Cause you're preaching, but, <laughs> but like, it's so true. It's like, just because the bank says that this makes sense that they say you qualify that this is, doesn't mean that makes it right for you that doesn't mean that that's the next that's the best next step for you and I know girl I know so many people so many who take that 3.5 percent or honestly worse girl I hear people they're like through the connections that they have from whatever job government job or the military that they end up getting zero percent down And in their mind, they're like, this is amazing. This is an opportunity. I'm going to be an owner. I'm going to, like, all the things that we, the cliches that we say without legitimately doing the work to say, do I have wiggle room after the mortgage is paid? Do I have wiggle room after the mortgage is paid, property taxes are paid, a little bit of, of maintenance money just in case things pop up, and, you know, property taxes. Do I have wiggle room after all of that has been incorporated?
1: And once those things start going up too, because property taxes for me in the two years that I owned that home went up by $2,000. So that mortgage that I signed up for wasn't even the mortgage that I ended up with. It would just keep Oof. going up. And nobody tells you no, this. They don't because if they
0: tell you that up front, you're gonna be like, wait, 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 let me reconsider. And they don't want you to reconsider, they want you to sign. And you know, one of the other things I, I recently read about, and then of course we'll get to more positive things, but um, I, I recently read this statistic that said the majority of realtors they are not going to really be too invested they're not going to go out of their way to really um when you do when like you're selling a house or when you're buying a house to really do what's best in terms of like the person selling they're not going to like if let's say they they know that you can get like an extra twenty thousand or ten thousand dollars for that house they're not really going to put their all into getting you that extra ten thousand because at the end of the day it does not actually make a big difference to their bottom line it doesn't really get them that much more money. Like, they're getting such a small percentage of that. At the end of the day, they just want to sell. They just want to get the deal. They want that commission. They want it done. And so at the end of the day, it's really self-serving when you think about a lot of, not all realtors, but a lot of realtors. And so when you're buying a house or when you're buying a house or when you're selling a house, you really have to be doing a ton of research before you make any moves. You know, to this day, I'm like, I'm not touching real estate until I feel that I know as much about it as I do know about
1: what's in my 401k. I ain't touching it. No, absolutely. I agree with you. And and there is definitely that sense of there's there has to be a conflict, right? When somebody is making money off of you, whether they're representing you as a buyer or a seller, right? They're not gonna be a hundred percent a fiduciary, it's just right. contradictory to what the relationship is, right? Exactly. And we have to think about that in so many senses. We can't just think about that like in the traditional
0: sense, but every time. You're talking to somebody. You're making a deal with somebody. You're negotiating something. What is their end goal? What is it that they're What's in it for them? And what's in it for you? Because oftentimes those things are at odds. And then you really got to think clearly about if if you know this makes sense, and, and really be looking out for yourself more than anything. Because most people are not looking out for you; they're looking out for themselves. As you know, especially in the financial sector. But um, anyway, we could go off and off and off about the the shadiness of the financial industry. But let's let's talk about some um, more colorful more exciting more bright and happy um times so a time where maybe you dropped a lot of coin it was a lot of money somebody else might look at your budget like Janice is tripping Janice is bugging that's way too much money to spend on whatever thing but now even when you look back you're like no I would do it again and I would do it in a heartbeat because dropping that much money on that was actually really worth it for me and I don't regret it
1: yeah So selling that house, I actually had to pay $10,000 because the asking price that I got for it did not match what I sold, what I had bought it for. And for me, that was the best $10,000 I ever spent because I was like, you know Mm -hmm. what? It's not even about recovering my money at this point. It's about recovering my sanity and Mm -hmm. learning the lesson, getting rid of this stress and moving on with my life. And I would, I would have paid $20,000, $50,000 to get rid of that house. So that for me was the best money I ever spent. That's crazy, and it's so interesting
0: how you know we talk about like these real estate horror stories. And there's, of course, there's so many people that um, you know love love real estate, and they are like real estate is how it works for me, and it's how I made my money. At the end of the day, I really think real estate is so case by case basis it depends on where you know location is everything when it comes to real estate and it's also about luck you know if you get a house in a really great area but for some reason you cannot find tenants that qualify that are what you want what you what you're comfortable with that sometimes is a little bit of a stroke of luck too so cuz i know people that have had really bad luck finding tenants that just ruined the property, didn't really take care of it, um, you know, because it's not, they don't own it, so they don't have as much, in, you know, skin in the game as you. And so it's it's a component of luck as well as um, all the other factors going on in the
1: industry as well. Absolutely. And I think that just goes for personal finance in general, right? You can't Mm. apply these blanket, like this is always going to be a good investment. This is always a smart move. It's just not. You have to know your personal situation, what you're comfortable accepting as a level of risk and like what all the external factors are playing into the decisions that you're making. When you go into real estate, and you're getting a a property you have to go through a
0: loan officer and you have to prove that you got all the things that you check all the boxes that you have the right credit score that you qualify that you have enough cash that you have the right debt to income ratio all of these things that you know prove that you have it all in order and when you go to invest let's say like in the stock market like you know whatever exchange traded funds you want to buy some stocks you want to buy whatever you don't need to do any pre-qualification so like anybody could really just start building wealth in the stock market but with real estate you really have to have your ish in order your house your financial house got to be in order and straightened up in order for you to even qualify but I find that through all of these programs and all of these little perks here and there you can find this or that promotion or this that allow people to just dodge all of those you know qualifications that Traditionally speaking, yeah, you're supposed to put 20% down or 10% down. You're supposed to this and that, this much debt to income ratio. But because of this thirst of the industry to just get more people, you know, buying and selling, like more transactions happening. A lot of that stuff goes out the window, and and we hear people getting houses 0% down, 3%, 3% down, you know, all kinds of, of stories like that. So I think her point, I, I I like that point, but to me, it's like that's the way it was intended when the industry kind of was first designed in terms of thinking about it, like, logically and strategically, like, who who is in a position to purchase property. But after time, you know, what happened in 08, it's just a clear example of... The, the hunger and the thirst to just give these loans to more people, just get more people purchasing properties. And a lot of these people ain't got no business owning houses.
1: So oh, no, that's right. Facts, yeah, facts
0: on facts. I just love that you put it out there like that, because I think there's, there's a lot of like one size fits all advice. And real estate is one of those things where it's like, if you don't know about it, you go in blind, you could get burned. But the way that it is perceived, the way that it's portrayed in social media and, you know, in advertising, marketing is like, this is the way to build generational wealth. It's not the way it's one potential way yeah but it's not like like i feel like in especially in the latinx community it's like if you don't have a house like you ain't and you didn't make it right and and i i hate that i hate that so much so i love that you are always talking about this like listen the house was the worst thing i ever did and i and i and i rent, and it's fine and like it's okay for you to not go with the quote-unquote what you're supposed to do society tells you this is what you're supposed to have this is how you're supposed to do it like you can do it your own way and that's okay
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, being a child of the first recession, 2008 recession, I had just graduated college uh, six months before. So I saw the direct impact of like all these people that had made the investment in housing. And I know people today that still haven't been able to recover the original price that they paid Mm -hmm. for a home. And we're how many years out at this point? So it's just like that, you know, hindsight is 2020. And I think like, there is no substitute for really educating yourself and just understanding like what the actual worst case scenario is in any of these types of situations.
0: I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, All right, girls, so let's jump into... A little bit about your background. I know you're from Jersey. I know that much. You, you're from around me, around my world. Well, I'm New York City, you're Jersey. But tell us a little bit about growing up. Like, what was it like in your house? Were there conversations about money? Were you aware of money? Was money like very taboo? Um, you know, like, what, what were some early lessons that you remember? Either discussions talking about money or just like things that you picked up on, even though nobody talked about it, that you kind of internalized?
1: Yeah. So I'm Puerto Rican. My parents came from the island in the 1980s during the big diaspora and they settled in New Jersey. My dad is a military vet and my mom is a high school graduate. She works in education. And so I saw the epitome of the American dream through them. You know, they came here with $400 in their pocket, built a life, struggled, you know. Government assistance, the whole thing. And then eventually they were able to dig themselves out of that and buy a home. And so for me, I definitely saw like the value of having a a work ethic and just not giving up no matter how hard things get. And I think that is definitely something that I still carry with me today just that you're going to figure it out no matter what's happening. And I think, you know, there's no monetary value on that. That is priceless. And I think that's the greatest gift that I have been given from them. When it comes to money, Money was always something that was stressful. I mm. noticed that as my dad made more money, he got a job as a consultant and that involved a lot of traveling. So my mom for all intents and purposes was like a single mom for the majority of my childhood because my dad would work Monday through Friday. He'd hop on a plane on Monday, come back Friday, be home for the weekend and leave. And oh. so the the struggle for money and I think what I internalized about money is like, you had to sacrifice a lot if you want stability and security. And so I saw that. And the fact that my mom was, you know, forced to kind of take on this primary caretaker role as like, I don't want that to be me as a woman. Like I want to make enough money that I can do whatever the hell I want. I don't want to mm-hmm. be like subjected to uh, having a deal with X, Y, and Z because I'm reliant financially on my partner. And I think that made me like very independent as a woman. So even today, like I've been married eight years now with my husband for 15 total. Like I still don't share bank accounts. Like I control all my money. He controls his, like we pay our money based on, you know, pay our bills based on the percentages of our income. But for me, it's always been super important to retain that financial independence and i think it's a direct result of like what i saw in you know not only in my direct household but like just women in my family of a lot of them just kind of being at the mercy of money and men who they depended on for that money right girl preach
0: I, you, <laughs> you know, know it's so funny because like as you're talking i'm like are you describing my life or yours <laughs> <laughs> you talk about me or yourself i don't but it yes i think that is so 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 true especially in those um In that wave that those early immigration waves where you come to this country and it's like you just sort of succumb to the the culture here which is very patriarchal at the end of the day the men are going to go out and do the work and the women are supposed to be wives that is wives and mothers that's that's the american way before like the the women's movement in the 70s before all of that Child, please, if you were a woman here, you you look cute, prim, and proper, you stay in the house and preferably in the kitchen with the kids. Like you and so it's very interesting that nowadays we are in this whole wave of feminism and women's rights. And like, no, well, I'm out here making my own money, I have my own bank account. But that's actually very, very modern for this country, for America. And it's something that, you know, personally I find that I take for granted. It's not every day that I sit and think about, wow, like. Just just one generation removed, one generation before me, and I would have been dependent on my on my on a man for income. Like, right. And and it's, it's I, I, I always think about like how that um how that has shaped a lot of my decisions. Cause I'm 31 years old. I don't have a husband. I'm not have a boyfriend, but we're not married. And I don't have children. And I don't see myself having children in, anytime soon. And because I saw my mom with nine children never being able to do what she wanted. What was her passion to this day? I still can't really pinpoint times where my mom was living in her truth, her authentic passions, like pursuing them because she was always raising kids or cooking for her husband or, you know, cleaning the house. And it just, in my mind, I'm like, no, I want to give myself a fair shot to do the things that I wake up craving to do instead of doing the things that I have to do when I get up because they're just the responsibilities of my life. Like, No, I don't want it to just be like happenstance. I want to choose the things that I do every day. Um, And maybe that makes me selfish, but you know what? Fine, I'll claim it. I'm selfish if that's what it is. So be it.
1: (laughs) Listen, I think there's all these expectations that are placed on women that we have to fit into this mold of what the perfect woman is. And I'm like, you know what? F that. I'm sorry. Like we already see what that whole patriarchal standard of what a, a woman is. And there's no glory in that. There's no celebration in that. Like, yes, mothers are important. Being wives, if that's what you want to do, if you want to have children, like that's great, but that's not your only option. And especially Mm. not if that's not authentic to like what you want in your life, you have a choice. We have to start like owning that, proclaiming it and making, like taking the shame out of those decisions. Like I'm done explaining to people why I'm 35 and don't have children. I don't want Mm. kids. That's it. Mm. Like there's no other explanation that you need the same way that you would never ask a man why he doesn't have kids I, we're not gonna entertain the question it's so true and honestly it's offensive
0: Super. to ask a woman why both are offensive but one is perceived more offensive than the other so i'm gonna call it out it's offensive to ask a woman why are you having a baby because there's times where some of my friends or my my family that are like women that are around my age have gotten pregnant and i'm like like why why are you doing this are you sure this is what you want to be doing and and be, and they get offended like excuse how dare you ask me why i'm becoming a mother because it, it's because it's a miracle that i am able to do it only a woman can do it men can't do it, all this stuff and it's like if you're so offended by me asking you as a woman why you're choosing to have a child then why are we not just as offended when someone asks me why i don't have a child I, I don't understand. They're the same. They're
1: two sides to the same coin. I just Let's just done. stop worrying about what women are doing with their bodies, period. How about that? How about that? <laughs> like Seriously,
0: it's so crazy, and especially in Latinx households. And it's just this thing where it's like there is no um, shame. Like, you know, tias and tios and moms and, and older cousins, they just think that they have the right to just ask you you know if it's not your novio when you're young where's your man where's the boyfriend do you have one? was your ring at it's once you're once you're settled and you have a, a, a partner and you're and you're happily you know in a relationship oh and when's the baby coming it's like you why are you all up in my why you don't ask me when the business how the business is doing and
1: how my business is coming along and when my book is coming out how come y'all ask me that because <laughs> we ain't got no boundaries as a people and we got to work on that <laughs>
0: <laughs> Absolutely. It's this new generation. We are challenging a lot of those cultural norms. And I, I mean I think for me I've talked about this a lot before where I feel like um you like you get a little bit scared to challenge the culture and especially to, you know, push back because a lot of these things we view them as what the culture is and what latinidad is about but that's not true like if that's the case if you really believe that these are the things that make a latina a latina like the fact that she's a mother and a wife then you got to reframe your mindset like what makes a latina latina is not that and if that is the core of what you think makes a woman who she is and the, the core of her identity you gotta dig deeper like there's so much more to us as humans you know not just as women but um we're so much more complex than that. So to simplify it and boil it down to something so simple and say, oh, that's, you know, if you're not doing that, you're not a woman. Excuse me. And I just Stop putting oops. us in a box. Thank you. We, we don't belong there. Um, Okay. Well, I, I love all this, this talk about women doing big things and not being put into a box. And I feel like you fit that perfectly. Like when we first connected, you had like five episodes and you were just getting this thing off the ground, getting this idea of like, you wanted to start a podcast. You wanted to talk about generational wealth and, and, you know, financial success. And you wanted to have these conversations, but you know, it was just a baby little idea and a small project and now you have over a hundred thousand downloads on your podcast. You are killing it. Your Instagram is blowing up. Your platform as not just a business coach, but also as a side hustle expert. Like you really have come so far. I've loved watching you grow. I'm like so inspired and motivated by everything you do. And so I want to, I want you to to un- unpack that for us. How did it go from this little idea to where it is today? Because you you put in some work and that sweat. I know you've been putting it in. I would love to hear, uh, you know, how it unfolded.
1: Yeah. So honestly, uh, I think for me, it all started with just this craving for a space that felt safe to talk about money. And so I've been a podcast listener, a podcast fan for years. It's my preferred way of just learning about any topic. Mm-hmm. And I was just really hungry for Latinas talking about money because like, I love listening to all types of podcasts, especially about money. And I just couldn't find people talking about it that looked like me, that sound like me, that had my cultural background. And I think as an engineer cause that's what I do for my day job. I am kind of programmed to just like solve problems. That's literally mm-hmm. what I get paid to do. And so I approached this the same way. I was like, well, I guess if the space doesn't exist, I'm going to create it. Right. And it sounds like super arrogant. Like who the hell are you to be like talking about this? And I think, you know, the, that all plays into like imposter syndrome and how it stops us from doing things that we know have value. So mm-hmm. I kind of had to work past that and just be like, look, I can't be the only one who cares about this because I'm the person in my friend circle, my family circle that is like always getting the money questions. So if I'm getting these questions, why not create a space that we can have these conversations? And so it really started like, honestly, I got like a $25 mic on Amazon, sat in my closet, downloaded the Anchor app and started talking about money. And uh, I think the pandemic was honestly what accelerated the whole growth of this podcast, right? I felt this need to communicate because of everything that was happening with the economy, with the, just the uncertainty that was happening in the world, I was craving connection. And so that's why I reached out to people like you, I reached out to people who already had a following in this Mm -hmm. community. And we're like, yo, can you like, talk us off the cliff? Cause we're all like losing our minds right now. And it was such a, therapeutic process, not just for me, but so many listeners have told me like you guys in the personal finance community, like being out there and telling us like things were going to be okay is one of the reasons why we believe that it was going to be okay. Mm. And I think that just speaks to like the, the power of what I've been able to create with this podcast. It's like the sense of community, this sense of belonging, Mm. this sense of Yes, this is also for you. Yes, you can have conversations about money that don't revolve around shame and guilt and and all the negativity that we tend to associate with it. We're like breaking that mold. And yeah, blood sweat and tears have gone into it too. You know, there's been many sleepless nights. I had to hire assistants. I've invested money, but I also was really focused on the mission. And I think it's been validated time and time again. Now that we're like you know getting press and getting award nominations and all this stuff, it's like people are starting to realize, oh, we should probably be talking to women and women of color about money because they care about it. Yes,
0: and because they have just as much to contribute. You know, honestly, that's the thing that I feel like it, it baffles me every time to think about how these conversations have existed in a vacuum among white men and literally have not considered for a moment what others who are not white males could contribute to this conversation through their lived experiences that are probably totally unrelatable to white males in many ways, but could be just as beneficial in terms of the the strategies, the tips, the takeaways, the gems that you, you learn along the way through your struggle. Like that is universal. And so for me, it's like, just crazy that we're we're now starting to really come into this place where, you know, hearing that there is a Latina podcaster talking about personal finance is not really shocking. It's exciting for people. And they're like, oh, I got to listen to that. I want to tune into that. It's becoming way more accepted in the space. And it's it's no longer shocking to hear that there is something that is not the, you know, the typical whatever type of content that you would hear in, in the space. I'm all about that, obviously, because, you know, hello. I've been, I mean, I've been talking about credit and, and, and saving and investing and budgeting for years. And I feel like the reason, like I, the reason I started was exactly because of you. I was like, you know, when I was learning, I was learning through books. I was reading, 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 reading. And, and two things that popped into my head was one, everybody doesn't like to read. (laughs) Everybody doesn't like to read. And a lot of people have negative experiences in traditional school system, negative experiences when it comes to reading, because the terminology, the vocabulary is is not accessible so when you t- try to read to learn something and then you got to look up all the words that you're reading you get frustrated and it becomes this, it's this feeling of like oh if, I, if i'm trying to learn this thing and then the first two sentences are things that i don't know now i'm even more frustrated now i'm at a point where i'm like okay forget it i don't even want to learn this stuff because there's no hope and that like that feeling i wanted to make sure i didn't I, I wanted to create content that avoided that completely so I was like all right let me just do real talk plain talking in English no fancy terminology none of that unless we're like breaking it down and and video content first because I recognize a lot of people don't necessarily go to reading books the way that I did but they maybe are looking for video content or audio different media um, sources different ways to learn and um and look at where we are now video and audio is is the number one so
1: who you know who would have thought yeah and you know I think this platform and just the more that we have women of color talking about money it encourages people to question the status quo it encourages people to be like this is not okay that we're not learning this they start demanding more not just from their community but from like financial institutions they start asking like why are y'all deliberately withholding this information um you know, when you start understanding things like the wealth gap, especially the fact that Latinas earn 55 cents to a, a white man's dollar. Okay, okay. I understand why. Cause ain't nobody telling us how to build wealth. But exactly. once you know that there is a path that other people have been able to use to create that wealth. Now you can start asking yourself, why, why, are, why are they not teaching us this? And once you find out you can start educating people around you and start eliminating that barrier to access, which I think yes. is the whole point of what we're doing exactly it is
0: it is removing the barrier to access 100 percent, and it's also highlighting that these differences are okay and they need to be recognized you know they don't need to be like it's not a negative thing that people are having different experiences and especially for women because for so long like I was just watching um oh my god you guys if you're listening and also obviously Eugenie, who I'm talking to directly but if, if anybody is not familiar with uh, the Netflix show that has um It's a short series. Will Smith hosts it. It's called Amend, The Story of America, or something like that. Kirsten and Julian posted it on Rich and Regular. I was like, I want to watch this. So I, I bookmarked it, and I started watching it. The fourth episode, first of all, the first three episodes really dive into a lot of the black history that we have not been taught in schools, which is phenomenal, and definitely watch it specifically for that. But the fourth episode talks about the women's rights movement and how that was only made possible because of the civil rights movement that was specifically you know, targeting racial discrimination. And one of the things I learned about that I didn't know about was that intersectionality, this concept that we think of it as like so new, it's not new. That came around in like the late 80s and there was this... um, a specific scholar and academic her name was Kimberly Crenshaw and she wrote about intersectionality for the first time in a paper where she was doing she, she recognized it was this case a legal case where they were trying to prove that this black woman was having a specific um, experience where she was being discriminated against but the evidence that they used to say like no this is not legit the evidence was well you're not being discriminated against because you're black because there are you know black men who, who do this um, and then also there's white women who do this as well. So, you know, we just proved that like there's no way that you're being discriminated against because there's women doing this job, even though they're white. And there's also men doing this job that are black. So the fact that you're black is not an issue and the fact that you're woman is not an issue. So, and they were like, why can't you understand that being a black woman together in an an experience where both of those live inside of you, that you are black and a woman at the same time, is different from being a woman who is white and also different from being a black man who is not a woman. Like... The fact that this idea, they couldn't understand it, it's the same thing that we still deal with today where people can't understand that your experience as a woman of color dealing with money is going to be different from the experience of a white woman dealing with money. And it's going to be different from a man of color dealing with money. And we have to make room for each of these unique combinations of identities and make room for them all equally. The differences are not problematic if anything they give us more clarity more information more contributions to be able to help anybody and everybody yeah and you know anyway it's just this like it just baffles me as I was watching that I was like I can't believe that this was that they couldn't see that this was different and that it was you know proven in court that it was that it's the same thing oh no it's the same thing here are these women and here are these men but none of them are black women (laughs) like how could you not see that
1: Everybody likes to argue about other people's experiences. And it's just like, I don't entertain those conversations because I will not tell you the amount of times that when I bring up race and money, that people are like, that has nothing to do with it. You're being a racist. Uh, There's, you know, this data doesn't exist. And I'm just like, look, we're not gonna argue science. You're not gonna argue science with somebody who literally does science for a living. We're Mm -hmm. not doing that. Um, There are people who wanna learn and people who don't. And I don't argue with the ones that don't.
0: Yes. I absolutely feel that I've seen that so much over the previous month, February. I posted so much content for Black History Month and there were so many people who were like, how can you say this? How can you say that? Um, You know, like New York, I posted something about New York City statistics that first came out of the wave of vaccines that were available to the public. And the majority of the people who were given vaccines were white people in New York City. And a lot of Black and Latinx and other, um, you know, non-white uh, communities did not have equal access to the vaccines. And that's just statistics, right? Of course, we can go into, like, the reasons and the causes, and sure, but I'm literally just sharing a statistic and saying, what are we doing? We need to do more work to change these statistics, whether that means that we need to be educating communities of color and saying, listen, y'all need to be signing up for this vaccine, or we need to be uh, making more um a clinics available in the in the zip code areas where there are predominantly more communities of color. All these things need to start happening. My my point was that we need to be responding to the data by putting in work. And oh my lord, you don't understand. People coming at me with, "How can you say that?" Like this is not about race. This is about that and that and that. And I'm like, listen. At the same rate, there are so many people who are diving into this and saying oh yeah man we need to be doing more let's examine let's take a look at where the clinics are located let's take a look at what we're doing what are we really doing everything that we can you know to make sure that it's that it's equitable are we are we because if not like this is a call to action there's people like that they want to learn they want to dive in they want to make things better they're interested in progress but you just know right up front when there's somebody who is not interested in having a conversation about progress and at that point I'm like look you're not gonna you're not gonna mess with my day you are not you're not you are not gonna mess with my whole week, honestly, because sometimes if I have a bad conversation like that, it ruins me for like multiple days. I can't get it out of my head. I need therapy because it's just like it's so it's just so disgusting. It's festers in your mind and it just ruins everything. All the positivity, everything that you work hard for is, is gone because of these negative interactions.
1: We can't argue with facts, so just don't do it.
0: Right. Like, let me just look. I'm going to just check out. <laughs> and I've had to block. I've definitely had to block people and restrict people because I'm like, listen, I can't. Like, if you're, if you're constantly responding to my, my posts with very similar thing, clearly there's something with you, something going on with you, that you're being triggered by language about equality and access for all. And whatever reason you have going on in yourself that that bothers you, you need to go to therapy for that. Don't hit me up. <laughs> I'm not qualified to handle that. <laughs> I ain't a therapist, honey. Nope. Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, girl. Well, we've learned so much about you, your, your, you know, your story, the platform, Joquero Dinero podcast. Um, let's just tell everybody where they can find you if they're interested in more than just a podcast because you do so much side hustle stuff business coaching tell everybody about all the things that Janice does and I don't even know how you do it all girl because you got a full-time job I truly don't even know Uh, but yeah
1: just you know a plethora of all the things in case anybody's interested in connecting with you absolutely so yes I am a podcaster I'm a business coach I teach people how to start side hustles I think it's very important for women especially women of color to you know, after 2020, we know that ain't no stability in the nine to five necessarily. Like you have to always have a plan A, plan B, plan C, plan F, whatever. And mm-hmm. so I'm super passionate about educating women about how they can start online businesses to supplement their income or even replace their income. So if you want to find out about that, check out my website, Yo Podcast.com. I do live events, teaching people about investing and wealth building. So I would love for you guys to come and hang out. Yes. And for those of you who know
0: of me and Orgenese through the um through the Finances in Fuego series, we are working. We're working behind the scenes to try to bring it back. It's a, it's a lot of like scheduling timing, but I know I've even myself have been seeing people constantly messaging me, "Hey, where can I? Can where, where is it? Can I get it? Can are we getting tickets again? Promo codes? I'm like, y'all need to listen. We're we're gonna announce it when it's ready, when it's back. So stay tuned for that because we're working on doing that. Hopefully during the summer of 2021, you guys will get another Finances in Fuego because honestly, we recognize the need is there. People got so much from that series that's where you know Janice and I really really first connected and your session about um you know investing in real estate through alternative ways not just buying the actual properties was dope so we'll bring that back for sure thank you let's wrap it up with my last question which is my favorite I'm going to take a dollar bill I'm going to put your beautiful Puerto Rican face on it and get rid of old George Washington's face I mean we love him but like you know move over sir Um, so we're going to put your money model above your dollar um, the face on the dollar bill and share with everybody what is this message this mantra that you want everybody to take with them when they're thinking about transactions that involve money in any way maybe not physical dollar bills but whenever you're making a purchase whenever you have a transaction that you have to make what is that money mantra that thought that you want people to really keep coming back to and not forget um, and consider whenever they're making decisions about money.
1: I am worthy of wealth. Mm.
0: I love it. I love the half alliteration too. worthy wealth. Love it. (laughs) All right, girl. I'm going to put that up there and tag you in it. Thank you so much for your energy, your passion, all the work you've been doing with your platform. Keep it up. You're amazing. And I can't wait to share this with everybody.
1: Thank you, Nelly. It is an honor to be here with you. And I am constantly inspired by everything that you're doing, not only with your podcast, but just like in the greater nonprofit space of really pushing for financial literacy across this country. That's life-changing stuff. And I'm so happy that someone like you is leading that charge.
0: Thank you. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> Thanks, mama. Have a good
1: rest of your day. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye.